Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode five of the CAV Sports Podcast. I am your host, Chris, and a lot of crazy things has happened over the past weekend with football-wise. It's it's a lot to get into, so let's dive right into it. So the first topic I want to talk about is what happened last night with Damar Hamlin. For those of you that don't know, well, I'm sure most mostly everybody in the sports world knows what happens to Damar Hamlin, but just to explain... He was part of a routine like tackle on T. Higgins when he caught the ball. Thus, after after the play was over, he stood up. He kind of looked like he grabbed his heart, stumbled, and then fell just on his back, like completely, like out of the blue. And no one was really sure. This was between the Buffalo Bills and Cincinnati game for Monday Night Football. Sorry, I did not add that information in, but. First of all, that's just a ex- scary experience to ever witness in general. Like someone just collapsing all of a sudden on the floor of a football field. Now, personally, I have played football before. When I was younger, I played I played football. And I've never seen anything like that before. I've never seen a player just collapse on the floor like that all of a sudden. This is definitely scarier than what happened to Tua Tungavailoa early in the season when he got tackled. After they found out he had some concussions and it wasn't reported or whatever happened with the Miami Dolphins. And when Tua got tackled that next week and his hands froze, which I believe they found out was because of like his just everything shut off. So it's like, you know, obviously as humans, that's just our reactions. Our body freezes. And that that was probably the second scariest thing. Now with what happened to DeMar was now the scariest thing. And it, it's, it's taken a lot out of a lot of um, analysts earlier today. I know Shannon Sharp didn't even appear on Undisputed, and Ryan Clark last night spoke about what happened and just the the humanization of the sport and just you know realizing that this sport is played by humans. We're not all gonna be perfect. We're not gonna you know be you know in the top. I guess top shape is a good way to put it. I'm sorry if I'm putting it in a, in a wrong way. Let me let me explain this a little better. I guess because he was young, he was about 24, 25, and that happened to him. And what ended up being reported is that he went under cardiac arrest, and that's why the the ambulance had to come out. They had to perform CPR to get you know his heart pumping. I believe they said that they were able to get his heart to pump uh, on the field, and that's why they rushed him over to Cincinnati Medical. Um, so with that though, it was it's still a scary thing to see, like from. Just the TV alone, there's no telling how scarring of an event that is. You know, if you were actually there at the game in Cincinnati, and my heart goes out to his family. Like, I believe his mother was in town, uh, went to the game, and she just had to see her son all of a sudden collapse on national television and had to run from the stand all the way to the ambulance. Now, I am happy that his his family was there to be with him. Instead of him going through this alone, but it's still a scary experience, you know. Hearts and prayers to Demar and his family, and hopefully he gets well. I believe he's more stable now, but he was still under critical condition. So just if you guys uh, out there and you guys saw what happened, just send him a prayer. Just send some positive energy to him and his family. They're definitely gonna need it. And now, kind of like with people reacting to what's going on and what happened with the result of the game. Uh, ultimately, the game got suspended for the night. Uh, they, I heard some criticism about people saying like, well, the NFL should have done, uh, they should have suspended it like immediately after the ambulance came out and all that. And I do agree. They should have, you know, 
that they should have suspended a little quicker. But I do like that they gave him the five minutes. And I do like, you know, like, well, maybe he was okay, you know, and they, they can continue the game. And, you know, sadly that wasn't the situation. But with that happening, the NFL obviously had had to act accordingly. And I'm glad they ultimately decided to suspend the game. I be- Sorry about that. I got a phone call. And they sent him into the locker room to get, like, space and time because you can clearly tell that, you know, the players weren't weren't mind-ready. You could just tell. You know, if you've seen the pictures and the videos of the players uh, around DeMar, they were crying. There was some of them walking off, like, in just such distraught. Josh Allen was staring at the at the spot where DeMar collapsed. It's, you know, Joe Burrow was crying. Uh, the Cincinnati Bengals and Coach Taylor. And... I got to give my hats off to the coaching staff of the Cincinnati Bengals for doing that because even though it's not their player, you know, there's they understand that that title of unity, that title of brotherhood because they are a football team and they're all close. And I believe it was Troy or Joe, one of them said it like you you'd be surprised how close these players are to each other. Some of them are even closer than some of their family members, which I believe is true because when you're, you know, working out together, playing, you know, playing on that field, you know, that level of trust you have to have between each other, you ultimately form a brotherhood. And it's not only from just, you know, just the Buffalo Bills, but, you know, obviously with the Cincinnati Bengals, you know. So, there, you know, everyone was just such distraught about what happened. And even me personally, I seeing that on TV was just, it was shocking, it was scary, because knowing that he was only 24, 25 years old, it's just a scary thing to see because, you know, kind of being close to that age, you know, it just proves that, you know, we're all human at the end of the day. And I do like that the NFL recognizes that human is, you know, that humanity of that. And also with the Cincinnati Bengals, like big shout outs to that organization for doing that. You know, talking to the referees, I I, I know uh, Coach Taylor from the Bengals was going back and forth with the locker room, with the Bills, you know, checking up on them, making sure that everyone's okay, you know, seeing what they want to do, if they even want to continue the game. And now me personally, if that if I saw that happen, if I was one of the Buffalo Bills players, even the Bengals players, I would not be mentally ready to play the game. Just because it is a dangerous sport. Because if you're not paying, it's already rough enough if you get blindsided and you were paying attention, you just didn't see this like lineman come and get you on your side. It's different when your head is not there in the game and you got to go out there and play a very physical sport. I guess a good way to compare it is like if you were doing boxing, you have to be in that mental that mental mind right of, you know, that's my opponent. If I'm not careful, if I'm not on my A game, I'm going to get knocked out and get hurt. I believe it's kind of like the same idea with football with all the with a, you know, aside of you 21 other players on the field, you never know what can happen to you. So with everyone just not in the mindset to play football, they ultimately decided to suspend the game. They're going to reschedule it for a later date, which I'm very happy that they did that. And they were not going to force the Cincinnati Bengals and the Buffalo Bills to go go out there and play. And I'm very happy that they did that because I, I think if they would have tried to get them to play, they were not going to play. The Buffalo Bills would have absolutely refused. They would have accepted fees, um, you, know, con- you know, going against their contract. They, I think... All the players, even on the Bengals side, would have accepted penalties because all they want to know and make sure is if the if Demar is okay, especially for the Buffalo Bills because they don't care about game plans at that moment. They don't care about you know well this game is important to us. They don't care about any of that. They they care about their friend, their teammate, their brother, and hoping that he is okay. And I think that was very 
you know, that just shows like how big football is and it's bigger than all of us, you know? And I believe somebody said it earlier today. I don't remember if it was Stephen A. Smith or Swagoo, but they said that, you know, they are human at the end of the day. You know, these are human beings playing. I believe it was Stephen A. Smith. And we have to understand that, you know, I just because they're probably in better shape than most people, you know, they run really fast. They're these strong, athletic, you know, human beings. But we have to also keep in mind, anything can happen to you. No matter if you're the most fit person on the planet, no matter if you're the most unhealthy person out there, things can happen to you. And just that was just a series of unfortunate events. And I'm going to continue on from this topic. It is like very, you know, heart hurting. And it's just really hard to talk about. I know a lot of people today, you know, either had to take time off of work. Like I said earlier, Shannon Sharp didn't even go to Undisputed. I believe that, you know, Skip Bayless was actually like he was in distraught after what happened. And, you know, he kind of explained. Uh, you know how he felt and i believe like the show even did something different they were just reading live tweets of people tweeting at uh undisputed so that it, this whole incident shocked the whole sports world and i think what the bigger shock is that this happened to a 20 20 something year old man and that's very scary uh to hear especially those you know people coming in the nfl that are around his age that this can happen to you you know and I don't think it's like a foot like a football thing. I think if anyone tries to make that argument, it's like, well, you know, it's football. Things happen. I understand that, but that is scary because that means that man, Demar Hamlin, could have died on that field if the medical emergency team personnel did not arrive on time. So I think that's what we have to kind of keep in mind and understand that you know the people out there, even though they may seem superhuman because of their freakish athletic ability, how fast they can move, you know, you know, for such big guys out on that field, you know, you're surprised how fast they can move laterally, horizontally, doesn't matter. But at the end of the day, we are all humans. And I'm going to end on that note. And, you know, prayers to DeMar Hamlin and his family, I believe they released a statement earlier that they are waiting for more information. And once they get that information, they will let everyone know. I know probably all of Bill's Mafia is hoping that DeMar Hamlin is okay. Um, all of his teammates and the whole NFL. Like, you just saw how much unity, like, that that incident had. And everyone in the NFL hoping that he is okay and he makes it through this. But prayers out to his family and DeMar. And hopefully he gets better and we see him on the field soon. Moving on to kind of staying uh, with the Bills and the Bengals game. With this happening, and now they're going to reschedule it, but I believe they said they're not going to reschedule it for this week. They're going to have to uh, you know, pick another day to to move the game. It's going to be a little challenging, in my opinion, because once since they're moving the game and they're not rescheduling it for this week, it, it's a very important game. I think like that that's, that's the importance of it, because this would have decided if the Bills were going to be number one or not in the AFC. So this isn't like a game they can really just skip over. So hopefully the NFL figures that out. I mean, obviously, this came out of a giant tragedy that happened on the field. And, you know, those players should take all the time they need to kind of heal and recuperate with what happened. But if you're looking at it just for the game-wise, um, it's going to be a little tricky to reschedule because this was an important game. So we'll have to wait and see what the NFL decides. They, Like I said, they, they said that they're not going to reschedule it for this week. So it may have to be they may have to play a doubleheader. Or they may have to figure something out. But as I stated, that it was it was due to the wake of this travesty to Demar and all prayers to him. And this is bigger than a football game. So, but I just wanted to bring up that 
it is going to be like interesting to see what they're going to do about that game. All right, so topic number two of today, the college football playoffs have begun. We got our national champions going head-to-head -head this coming Monday. So I want to talk about the first game, TCU and Michigan playing for the Fiesta Bowl in Arizona. First of all, what a game. That was an incredible game. It was very defensive. It was hard-hitting. A lot of turnovers, and we're going to get to that in a second. But I want to compare the two quarterbacks that played in Max Duggan, the runner-up for the Heisman Trophy, which he got second most amount of votes between the four, and J.J. McCarthy for Michigan. So Max Duggan didn't have as well of a game, in my opinion. He passed for 14 for 29, 225 yards, two touchdowns, and two INTs. However, he did rush for 57 yards and two touchdowns on the ground. Uh, compared to J.J. McCarthy, who was 20 for 34, 343 yards, two touchdowns, and two INTs, and 52 yards rushing with one touchdown on the ground. I will say the biggest thing that killed Michigan, let's, let, we're going to start with Michigan right, real quick. The, the big thing that killed Michigan is the turnovers. The amount of turnovers they gave to TCU was shocking because they're, they're one of the best teams in college football, and they rarely make mistakes like that. Now, I will point out a controversial call, though, in the game. They should have had that touchdown, the one that got called at the half-yard line. There was, I, I don't know what the logic on that was, but from how I saw it and how I understand the catching rules, I, I'm not sure what's a catch anymore at this point, but from what I understood in the catching rules, you have to maintain full possession when you hit the ground. And it looked like he didn't maintain full possession until he hit the end zone. So I'm thinking that's a touchdown. And even when they went to review it, I was thinking that's a touchdown. Like, there's no way you're going to not rule that a touchdown. Like, like that, that's, a, that's a score. And that didn't happen. They ended up calling it short at the half-yard line. And TCU's defense forced a fumble in the end zone to get the ball back. And I believe they recovered the fumble in the end zone. So that was a touchback, giving Max Duggan 20 yards to work with instead of at the one. So I believe Michigan got... Michigan got an unlucky call. I believe that's kind of if they would have got that touchdown, the game would have been a whole nother scenario. But that that's a touchdown, like hands down, that's a score. Even people who were cheering on TCU agreed that's a touchdown. Like how was that not a score? But TCU caught a break on that one, and the the defense kind of bailed out Max Duggan in my opinion. The defense stepped up, even though they run a three three five defense, which is three defensive linemen, three linebackers, and five defensive backs. It's a really unique defense, but the only jug, the only like kryptonite to that defense is the run game because you only have three defenders and three linebackers compared to a whole offensive line. The, you know, typically you're going to have a big game like that uh, on the ground, and Michigan did, but they also were getting stopped at the wrong times. And what I mean by that is uh, Winters for TCU, the linebacker, was making plays. And I mean plays. He was getting big stops in the backfield. He was getting sacks. He was make, forcing J.J. McCarthy to roll out of the pocket and make those quick decisions. And the TCU defense was just suffocating to J.J. McCarthy in Michigan. And, you know, poor Harbaugh, he's trying to make the national championship his whole time in Michigan. And sadly, he is now another year away from it again. But that TCU defense was the key to that game. Now... I'm going to go over to TCU side. They did force the turnovers, which was key to that game. But I will not discredit Max Duggan. I will not. Because even though he, on paper, did not play good, 
when you look at the plays he made, he made plays when they needed to be made. And here's, a, here's an example. One of the plays that they were doing on the defensive Michigan side is they were blitzing Max Duggan heavily. They were trying to get to him fast because they know he's a threat on the ground. He is the kind of guy that will tuck the ball and run you over. And he has a lot of speed, so they can't risk him you know, running out of the pocket, so they blitzed everyone. And a, and a play call that they made was they ran a drag underneath the blitz of the Michigan defense. And all Max had to do was get back and throw it, dump it off. And I was believe I believe it was the Quentin Johnson who broke away for a touchdown. That's the kind of plays that Max Duggan needs to make whenever that happens. Because even though you may not be playing your best game, but you need to be there in the right spot to keep your team in a position where they're going to win. And I believe Max Duggan did enough to get his team to that position. Because every time Michigan came close, he would score another touchdown on that offense. And go and keep the, I'm sorry, the length of their lead even farther. So Michigan kept having to play from behind. And it wasn't helping that their defense wasn't stopping Max Duggan in that offense. And I'll give another credit to the TCU running backs and Miller and DeMaricado, I believe. They both had big games. I believe when Miller went out, DeMaricado stepped up and he had a big game on himself. He did miss a couple key blocks, which which ultimately resulted in Duggan getting sacked. So I think that TCU needs to work on that. But overall, the game was incredible. It was, you know, you were on the edge of your seat most of the time. And I will stand by my statement, Michigan Michigan fans, you did not get that touchdown. And I think that ultimately kind of, you know, altered the game. If he would have made that touchdown, I believe the game would have been really different. And I believe it would have been really, really close. But at the end of the day, TCU's defense just came up big. And I said this in the last episode, that what it's going to come down to is not the offense. Because Max Duggan, that TCU offense, they're one of the top in the nation. And so is J.J. McCarthy. And that Michigan offense, what it was going to come down to was defense and who was going to make the play for each team. And Winters and that defense at TCU, they're the real deal. You saw that they were able to make plays against J.J. McCarthy, even though I believe there's a quote that J.J. McCarthy said right before the game is that if they want to run that 3-3-5 defense, it'll be smash mouth football all day. And it was to an extent they were able to get yards and move the ball. But winners in that defense was, and I believe Thornton, they were able to make plays against um, against Michigan, either holding the field goals or forcing them to punt or forcing turnovers. And that's exactly what you want from your defense when you're playing in that, high, in that big of a stage in the Fiesta Bowl and a chance to go to the national championship. And don't get me wrong, I believe two interceptions uh, Michigan was able to get from Max Duggan. So they were out of the game. Michigan was well within the reach. But I think that TCU's defense just did a little bit more to keep the lead alive for TCU. And Max Duggan, even though he didn't have a great game, he was able to do enough. And he made the right amount of big plays to keep TCU in the lead and never fall behind. So congratulations to the TCU Horn Frogs. You are going to the national championship. Next up, the other game. Ohio State, the Ohio State Buckeyes went up against the Georgia Bulldogs. And that's a that was another great game. I was not expecting it to be that down to the wire. But before I harp on the kicker for Ohio State shanking that kick, I, I okay, I guess we'll start with there. I would understand if the kicker would have hit the pylon or it was just short. I think that's a little bit different. But 
he kicked it all the way to the left. Like, he was in no man's land near the goalpost, and that just destroyed Ohio State and all the Buckeye fans out there. Like, that that's heartbreaking for everyone to just witness on national television, especially with the game on the line like that. He just didn't come up clutch, but enough harping on him. I know everyone in the media and the internet has just been boasting on that kicker. But let's look at the end of the game. And I want to talk about Georgia first. Georgia looks beatable when I watched that game. When I watched Georgia versus Ohio State, I didn't see dominant Georgia. I didn't see Georgia blowing out teams. I didn't see the Georgia that doesn't even allow teams to get within 10 points of them. I did not see that at Georgia. I saw a Georgia team that looked beatable. I saw a Georgia team that looks like they've been playing scrubs all season, and they that's how they got here. That's the kind of team I saw when I watched the game against Ohio State. Now, Stenson Bennett had a great game. 23 for 34, 348 yards, three touchdowns, one INT, and one rushing touchdown. So he didn't play bad. He did throw an interception, which was costly. But the defense was the weakest link here because obviously Georgia was able to keep up with Ohio State. And we'll get to Ohio State's side in a moment and why I think that like what happened to them ultimately lost the game or was one of the biggest reasons. But with Georgia, their defense was their weakest link because they allowed Ohio State to move down the field. They were moving. C.J. Stroud was having a field day against that Georgia defense, which is number eight in the nation. So it's not like they're a bad defense. They have studs all over that defensive back. You know, the defensive backs are great. Linebackers, the line can rush the quarterback. And that was another thing is that they were not able to get C.J. Stroud off the, like, on the ground. He, he's so elusive. And in this game, he just showed his athletic ability because he was not going down. And I thought that was one of the craziest things is that every time I saw C.J. Stroud in the pocket get swarmed by, that, by those Georgia Bulldogs, he wasn't down. He got he was able to get away, either, you know, rush or he was able to throw it, throw it to a wide open receiver. Marvin Harrison Jr. had a great game, by the way, and we'll get to him and what happened there. But Georgia's defense just looked like they could not compete with Ohio State. If it didn't come down to the wire like that, Georgia's out. Georgia is out. If they didn't have that good of an offense and Stenson Bennett being able to, you know, manage that offense, I think that, that Georgia's out. Like hands down, because they were struggling. On defense, obviously in the second half, they were able to pick it up because they were able to get stops against Ohio State. But in the beginning of the game, it looked like they weren't even to become close. Seeing how dominant that Ohio State offense was against Georgia. So, but now we're going to move on to the Ohio State side because they had some problems on defense too. Because they had the lead, but they were allowing Georgia to score. So for Ohio State, for C.J. Stroud's stats, 23 for 34, 348 yards, 4 touchdowns. So C.J. Stroud, as I said in the Heisman debate, he didn't have those game, that game of, you know, that game, that Heisman winning, winning game, which is what I mean by that is he didn't have that, you know, that specific game that was going to win him the Heisman. This was the game that would have won him the Heisman if the Heisman was, you know, more down the road. This would have been the game if they would have won. That's, that's this Heisman moment right there, knocking off number one in the nation. So I'm not putting all the blame on C.J. Stroud. He had a great game. He showed his athletic ability against those Georgia Bulldogs. He was able to escape being sacked. He was hitting receivers wide open. He had the game. He had one of his best performances this season. So I'm not giving C.J. Stroud any blame on this. And I still think Ohio State should have won this game. But I'm going to give uh, the defense their due because they were not doing well either. 
against Georgia. They had a couple stops in the beginning, I believe in the first quarter. They only held them to a field goal, and Georgia was struggling to move against that Ohio State defense. And it's not like they don't have, you know, it's not like they have scrubs in the back in the in their defense in their defense. They have four stars and five star recruits, so it's not like they're they're bad. They're a bad defensive unit because they they were holding teams for a while. But Georgia's offense was just able to pick them apart after kind of getting getting a little bit of a routine, getting getting a little hot, and then now they were able to move all over that defense. So I believe the defense was, was also part of the blame in this scenario for Ohio State. And also another another big thing I wrote down here is Marvin Harrison Jr. getting injured. I believe he got a concussion or he injured some part of his body uh, towards the end of the game, and that was costly because that's their biggest wide receiver. He had monster numbers. I believe he was already almost close. I think he was like over 100 and something yards in the third quarter. He was going off with CJ Stroud and that's obviously CJ Stroud's favorite target. He's obviously he's he's the son of Marvin Harrison and he just looks, you know, bigger than his dad and he was having a great game. But with the injury, I believe that kind of, you know, stopped halted CJ Stroud in that offense. He didn't have that wide open wide receiver anymore, which was starting to show cuz they were starting to struggle a little bit trying to get downfield and scoring since his number 1 was out. So I believe that was like another reason. That was another reason why the Ohio State Buckeyes were not able to move anymore in the second half was because of that. Because they didn't have that number one wide receiver, they needed someone else to step up, and they weren't stepping up enough as Marvin Harrison Jr. was. Uh, C.J. Stroud was definitely stepping up because he had the game of his life uh, to on that day, but it wasn't enough. And the Georgia Bulldogs were able to pull away. And like I said, if that field goal did not go that far to the left. We would be discussing TCU and Ohio State, and that's gonna be that would have been a great game. But Georgia, Georgia got lucky with this one. And I will say this though, I think another reason why they were so down and you know struggling, they never faced adversity this season. They never had a they never had that game of we need to come back from behind and win it. They never had that oh like it's a defensive game. Who's gonna you know whose defense is gonna force a turnover and get us the ball in good field. They never had that game. The closest team was like 17 points away from from Georgia. So what, they didn't have any kind of adversity game going into Ohio State. So I believe whenever Ohio State came in, you know, swinging and punched them in the mouth, they were they were stumbled. They were a little nervous because, you know, they never had a team come in and just, you know, punch them in the face and say, bring it on, like in a, in a fight. They never had that this season. I think that maybe the closest one's Tennessee in the beginning, but after that, it was... They demolished Tennessee, and Ohio State just came in full swing in. They got some good shots on Georgia, but they were able to outlast in this game. So congratulations to the Georgia Bulldogs. You are going to the national championship at SoFi Stadium in Los Angeles next Monday, and you'll be facing off against the TCU Horn Frogs. That that's going to be a great game, and I'll get into who I'm going to pick it later on in the episode. All right, so moving on to the NFL. The season finale is next week, but I'm going to talk about the games that caught my eyes this upcoming week. First up, we got to talk about the Dallas Cowboys and the Titans. I'm going to say this in a very low voice. How about them Cowboys? <laughs> that that wasn't a good game. I'm sorry. I will be the first to admit it. I'm not going to give all kinds of praises today. This was a bad game. It really was. This was a game the Cowboys should have had. They didn't have Ryan Tannehill. They didn't have Derrick Henry. That was a game that the Dallas Cowboys should have dropped 40 on the Tennessee Titans. They were playing with their third-string quarterback in Dobbs, who hasn't played a down in, I think, like a, a season or two. 
Uh, Malik Willis wasn't even playing. He wasn't even the starter. It was, you know, Dobbs. And here's a little comparison. So Dak was 29 for 41, 282 yards, two touchdowns, and two INTs. Dobbs was 20 for 39, 232, one touchdown, and one interception. And the thing that made it close was that the offense was just struggling. It, it just didn't look good. And one of the key factors was that Tony Pollard wasn't playing in the game. I believe he, he he got injured in practice or he got injured the week before. They wanted to sit him out. And I agree. Keep him, you know, keep him, you know, let him recover because you're definitely going to need him for playoffs. But without Tony Pollard, you can kind of see that a little bit of their offense went away. Aside of going to CeeDee Lamb and Dalton Schultz, other than that, they were relying on Ezekiel Elliott, who had 19 carries and only 37 yards and a touchdown, which he usually gets the ball at the goal line because he's a bigger running back. But they use, you know, Tony Pollard for the halfback screens or, you know, the slips underneath. If Dak needs the under uh, the underneath pass when all his options are gone. And Dak, Dak just didn't play good. That's another thing. And I know a lot of people have been talking that if Dak is the concern going into playoffs or if he's the biggest concern. Right now, he's the second biggest concern I have. Because the other biggest concern I have is the cornerbacks. And it was evident again because Dobbs was passing all over the corners aside of Trayvon Diggs. They, you know, I believe Wright had an interception, I believe. But they were able to move the ball and pass pass it through the air. And that's that's my biggest concern is the corners. Because my thing is with Dak is that even though he throws the interceptions, he can still try to win you the game. This one, though, with Dak Prescott, Dak looked like he his confidence just went away. And that's not what happened last week against Philadelphia. Philadelphia, even though he threw the pick six, he came back and, you know, put points on the board. This one, it looked like every time he, you know, the the ball got intercepted, just confidence left his face. You can just tell, you know, he wasn't sure about his throws anymore. He wasn't, you know, confident in himself to make the pass. He had to make sure they were wide open. Sometimes he held the ball for too long. It resulted in him having to run or he got sacked. So... You could just tell in that game that he was just defeated. You could tell. He he just looked like he did not want to pass the ball anymore. And Dobbs Dobbs was able to step up, at least for Tennessee Titans, for a little bit. He was able to, you know, move the ball well enough, at least without, you know, Derrick Henry to run it. But with the cornerback situation, we, we're not getting Anthony Brown back. And clearly, we, we're going to need another corner to help Trayvon Diggs. And we don't have that right now. So that I think that's my biggest concern out of this game is that the corners are still a liability. The defensive backs are still going to get beat. And that's my biggest concern because if Dak can shake off this turnover train that he's on, we, we can't do anything. If the defense can't stop the opposing team from scoring, then we can't do anything. Uh, the, defensive back, the defensive line, though, did step up. They were getting to Dobbs relatively quickly, I believe. Um, one of the favorite things I saw was that Micah, um, he had a cast on. He ran off the field, then he found out he had to go back in. So he ran back on the field and still made the tackle. So that gives me a little bit more confidence that the defensive line starting to pick it up a little bit. But Dak needs to low, lower the turnovers. I believe he had, he is tied for De- with Derek Carr this season. And Derek Carr got benched, which we're going to talk about the Raiders in the 49ers game because that was a, another shocker. But... I'm not completely concerned yet. This isn't a time to hit the panic button with Dak Prescott. I think I think he just needs to, you know, understand that being too, there is a thing called being too aggressive. And right now, I think that's what it is. He he wants to be aggressive. He wants to, you know, always have his foot on the gas, which is incredible and fine. But when you're turning the ball over, for, you know, and throw 14 interceptions in a season, 
you're being too aggressive with the ball. And hopefully Kellen Moore can figure that out with him. And for the Tennessee Titans, I mean, this game was kind of a nothing for them. If they win or lose, either way, they're going to have to go against Jacksonville coming up uh, to win the division. So either way, it didn't really matter to them if they won or not. That's why they rested Derrick Henry. There's no point in possibly injuring him and not having him for playoffs and uh, for this game and possibly playoffs. So, But now Dobbs has the starting job since Ryan Tannehill's out and Malik Willis isn't doing well. But Dobbs has his job. So congratulations to you, Dobbs. Next up, the, the Saints and the Eagles. The Saints would win 20 to 10. And all I got to say is for the Saints is Marshawn Lattimore's back. You're glad to have him back. He's a lockdown corner. And he was able to beat uh, A.J. Brown on that route uh, to get the pick six to seal the game. But I'm not going to talk about them because they, they didn't play relatively well. Andy Dalton, who started, was 18 for 32. 204 yards and one INT, so he didn't play good. So he definitely wasn't the reason why they won. It was their defense. Now I'm going to move on to the Eagles. The Eagles were 18, or Gardner Minshew for the Philadelphia Eagles was 18 for 52, 274 yards, one touchdown, and one INT. I wouldn't say this is a panic time for the Philadelphia Eagles, but what I'm thinking now is that some people are realizing it's not the offense because after what happened last week with the Dallas Cowboys, and Gardner Minshew was able to move the ball. He still had the turnover problem. And that pick six killed any chances of the Eagles coming back. Now they have now they're in when we have now they're in the mode of we have to win next week. So we're we're have to see what happens with Jalen Hurts and what's gonna go on with that. But talk about Gardner Minshew right now. He wasn't able to move that much. And one of the things that kind of caught my eye about this was that. AJ Brown made a comment is uh, what happened on that pick six. And for some people that don't know in the NFL, obviously you have to look up and look at your receivers and check the coverage. You know, sometimes the wide receiver might, you know, might try to communicate with you like, Hey, press coverage. Don't throw it to me. Or like, Hey, press coverage. I'm a run let, like hot route, something like that. With what happened with, on that play, uh, according to AJ Brown, does AJ Brown try to get, you know, Gardner's attention about, Hey, He's pressing me. Don't you know? Don't throw it or do a hot route or something. And Gardner Minshew just didn't look at him. That's what. And obviously in that play, he threw it right to AJ Brown, which landed in Marshall Lattimore's hands, scoring the touchdown, basically solidifying a Saints win. And I think that that's the concerning part is that when something stuff like that comes out, I think that's the concerning part, and not necessarily the Philadelphia Eagles right now. I don't think they're in a uh, position where they need to hit the panic button. Now, the only slight of panic I can think of is that they need a win against the Giants this upcoming week to win the division. Because now they're now they're in a spot where they might have to get the wild card. Because if they lose and the Cowboys win, the Cowboys take the number one spot and they get home field advantage and the and the wild card bye. And now the Eagles have to go on the road and go face like uh, Tom Brady. So. That's very like I think that's the concerning part is that now they're now their backs are against the ropes and now we're gonna see what Sirianni is all about. It, and we're just gonna have to see what happens with the Eagles if they're gonna stick with Gardner Minshew or not. And what is concerning is that last week he was able to move the ball against the the Dallas defense and this week he just wasn't able to. He was you know I can say he only he only had one touchdown and that's where I think is the concerning part. That's where I'm gonna hit the panic button is that. We need our we need our MVP quarterback. We need Jalen Hurts like healthy and ready to go. I don't know how healthy he's gonna be going into playoffs though, because of he received an injury on his throwing shoulder. 
So I'm not sure how that's going to work with him or what they're gonna, the Philadelphia Eagles are going to do about that. But as of right now, they're figuring, they're, I think believe they're still going to go Gardner Minshew. As of right now, I believe they said that he might be, he is possible to play. So fingers crossed for the Philadelphia fans out there. And we'll just have to wait and see. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I hope you guys get the wild card. But moving on past my bias on that team, the Panthers and the Buccaneers to decide who is going to win the division. Sam Darnold had a great game. Uh, 23 for 37, 341 yards, three touchdowns, and one INT. Obviously, the INT is what killed them. And the three turnovers they had, they had, they they gave the ball to Tom Brady a lot. Now, looking at Tom Brady's stats, 34 for 45, 432 yards, and three touchdowns. Mike Evans had the game of the season, uh, his best game of the season. Sorry about that. He had, like, over 200 yards receiving. And that's the kind of play I'm expecting from Tom Brady. Like, that's what I'm thinking when I think of Tom Brady and a better offense is that, you know, Mike Evans getting over 100 yards receiving, you know, not many turnovers, not forcing the ball. He just looked like he now he's kind of getting a rhythm now after getting this big win. They needed it to win the division. Now they're going to face whoever the number five seed is. And as for the Carolina Panthers, I mean, the running game wasn't there. Last week they had a dominant running game, and just this week it wasn't there and it wasn't able to help. Sam Darnold did have a great game, so I'm not going to knock on Sam Darnold because he wasn't really the issue. It was clearly uh, the turnovers that were happening, and the run game just wasn't good, this, uh, this uh, t that game. And Tom Brady just had the game, uh, his top performance of the season. So that's just unlucky for the Carolina Panthers. But the Buccaneers pull off the win. They are going to the playoffs, and they have officially clinched the four spot. Uh, I believe they're not going anywhere, so... They are so they are locked in on the fourth spot because they're not going to catch the 49ers or the Vikings. So congratulations to you guys for winning the division and the Buccaneers are going to the playoffs. Next up, the 49ers and the Raiders. The 49ers will win 37 to 34. This is what the biggest shocking uh, event that happened, I believe, one of the biggest shocking games. The next one's about to come up. The Raiders were able to score 34 points on the number one defense in the NFL. Now, Brock Purdy had a good game of his own, 22 for 35, 284 yards, two touchdowns, and one INT. I will say that's the one problem with Purdy is that he's throwing a lot of he's throwing a lot of interceptions lately, and I think he needs to calm that down. I understand he has a really good defense and he has Christian McCaffrey in the backfield, but he can't turn over the ball like that, especially if you go into playoffs. You need to kind of brush that up. I understand he is a rookie. You know, he's just trying to make sure he has a spot next season. But, you know, this is not a good way to do it, especially if it costs you the game. But Jared Stidham, who I criticized, I criticized, I will completely admit it here. I criticized the Las Vegas Raiders for benching Derek Carr for Jared Stidham. And I'm thinking how many points are going are the Las Vegas Raiders going to lose by. They only lost by three in overtime, so not bad. But Jared Stidham, 23 for 34, 365 yards, three touchdowns, and two INTs. He shot. He was one of the biggest shockers because I did not expect him to have that great of a game. After seeing him in New England, I believe, he, he just didn't look that good. And I didn't think that he was going to be able to run that offense as well as he did in that game. The good killers, two interceptions. He can't turn the ball over like that, especially against an offense that has a lot of weapons. Even though they have a rookie quarterback, they still have Brandon Ayuk and Christian McCaffrey, George Kittle, they can still move the ball. So 
with that, that's the biggest downfall for the Raiders. That kind of just sums up their season is nothing but turnovers. So that's that's going to be that with the Raiders. They're, they're out of the playoffs, so it doesn't really matter anymore. But like I said, Jared Stidham had one of the biggest shocks this uh, of this, this week because I did not expect him to play as well as he did. So if they do bring Derek Carr back, then they have a good backup in case anything goes wrong. Or if they try to go win the Brady sweepstakes this offseason, who knows? There's been a lot of speculation about the Raiders possibly trying to trade for Brady. Who's gonna, We're going to have to see about that. But at the end of the day, the Raiders, you almost beat the 49ers. But now moving on to the 49ers, 34 points. The only team close to scoring that many points was, I believe, the Commanders or another team. One of them had 23 points on that defense. You cannot allow 34 points if you're the best defense in the NFL. Like, you just can't. Especially with all the pass rushers that they have, there's no excuse. And they, and I can understand if Derek Carr was playing. Derek Carr was playing for the Raiders. I can understand that, okay, it's a high-scoring game. Derek Carr's moving the offense. Turnovers killed him, whatever. But they did it with a backup quarterback. And that backup quarterback was able to pass all over the 49er defense. So I don't know if uh, Josh McDaniels found a weakness in that defense or just something that they found out about how to you know, beat the 49ers. But I think that's a little concerning because people can just watch tape about what happened in the 49er in the 49er Raider game, and they're going to be able to move on that defense because that was the biggest thing was that they have a great defensive line. Defensive backs are top notch. Fred Warner at the linebacker position, you know, they have a great all around defense, and obviously their offense is nothing to joke about. But after seeing this game, and the Raiders with a backup quarterback was able to move the ball against them. That that's my biggest concern. For the 49ers, not the offense or anything like that. Brock Purdy, you know, showed he can compete. And Christian McCaffrey's just a beast altogether. But their defense allowed that many points. They allowed themselves, you know, they allowed them to go to overtime. And I think that's going to be the biggest issue because if you go back and look at that tape, you're going to see that the Raiders are moving. And they're probably, and offensive coordinators out there, they're probably getting ready for the playoffs to go up against the 49ers, which I believe is the Giants. They're going to look at that and say, what can we do? Because clearly they can, you know, clearly the Raiders did it and they don't have that many good, they don't have that good of an offense aside of Devontae Adams and Waller and Jacobs. I get they have those guys, those guys on that team, but they were, you know, with Derek Carr, there were some games where they were struggling and they were going up against the number one defense in the NFL and still scored 34 points with a backup quarterback. So the 49ers need to kind of figure that out or, you know, maybe it was just a bad game for them. But they cannot let that happen again because that's a good way to get eliminated, especially if you have a defense uh, that can that's a little bit better than the Raiders and they can stop them. They're going to be in a lot of trouble come playoff time. But they still pulled off the win, so good for them. Next up, the game that shocked me, the Packers and the, and the Vikings. Vikings 17, the Packers 41. I'm going to start with the Packers. Uh, they Now they can go to the playoffs. They have to beat Detroit. Coming up, Rodgers found a way for them to possibly sneak their way in. And their defense had three defensive touchdowns against the Vikings. That, you know, that's obviously a recipe for a win. Aaron Rodgers had one touchdown. But I'm going to move on from the Packers because they, I mean, there's really not much they, like, to talk about. The, you know, Aaron Rodgers didn't have a great game because he didn't have to. The defense did all the work for him. So he, he was just relaxing that whole game. The defense was the key. But now I'm going to move on to the Minnesota Vikings. The Minnesota Vikings only scoring 17 points. Kirk Cousins, 18 for 31, 205 yards, 1 TD, 3 interceptions. And I believe he got benched at the end of the game. 
four turnovers in total that whole game. And that is a big concern because this isn't the first time this happened. The Dallas Cowboys dropped 40 points on them a few weeks ago. And they were the top, one of the hot teams in the NFL. Kirk Cousins just got exposed by that Green Bay defense. The second time he's been exposed because the first one, I would say, you know what, I'll say the third time. Because he did get exposed against the Indianapolis Colts, but obviously having Matt Ryan on your team and the Indianapolis Colts doing how bad, you know, doing bad this year. I mean, they were able to make the comeback and sure, you know, give him his praise. But in a game like this, where you need to, you know, stay ahead of the 49ers, this was a game they needed to win to at least, you know, either keep the gap wide or in case, and you know, in case anything happens, you know, the 49ers will have to play the Giants and they can get, you know, whoever's going to be the seventh seed. And now it's looking like it might be either the Lions or the Packers. It's really going to depend on what happens this upcoming weekend. But Kirk Cousins cannot play like that. That is the Kirk Cousins that gets picked on by the media. That is the Kirk Cousins that gets picked apart by everyone in Vikings country. They're, they're, there's no way you can play like that. With Justin Jefferson, Adam Thielen, and all those guys... And Jair Alexander for the Green Bay Packers did a great job against Justin Jefferson. I believe he only had one reception for 15 yards. And that was just a phenomenal phenomenal corner play, uh, corner going up against a wide receiver. Because Trayvon Diggs did the same thing. He held Justin Jefferson to very low numbers. And that seems like it's the key to success on defense. If you can take away Justin Jefferson, you're going to win the game. And another big component that got really low was Dalvin Cook. Dalvin Cook's production was really low i believe he wasn't he didn't even break 100 yards he wasn't even close to 100 yards and he had like i think over 10 carries and he wasn't able to you know move and neither was kirk cousins kirk cousins kept turning the ball over that that's a big shock to me because this late in the season that should not be happening you know especially if your team is on paper better than the packers with more weapons on offense the, the the only thing I will give them is that their defense is not good, and I think this is a big example. Uh, not one of the biggest examples, but the Cowboy game was a big example. And now Kirk Cousins is not looking good heading into the playoff season. And Kirk Cousins needs to figure that out because there is no there's no reason for that. He when he went up against the Colts, same issue. He had a lot of turnovers. He wasn't moving the ball. You know, he kept trying to force it to Justin Jefferson. When he's clearly covered. And the same thing happened. Now when I saw when they were down. I kept saying well don't count them out. Because they were down by 30 point, 33 points. Against the Colts. And they make you know you never know with these things. And that, that that's not exact. That's not even close to what happened. But Kirk Cousins you cannot do that. You just can't. You can't turn the ball over that many times. Against you know your one of your divisional rivals. In the Green Bay Packers. Especially if you're trying to keep away. From the 49ers, who haven't lost a game, I believe, in like four weeks. Especially whenever Brock Purdy arrived. they haven't. I believe they haven't lost a game since Brock Purdy came. And if you're trying to stay ahead of them, you need to win games. You cannot lose that bad to a Green Bay team that doesn't have Devontae Adams. Aaron Jones has been having a, having a flux season along with A.J. Dillon. Aaron Rodgers, who argues with Matt LaFleur on the daily and can barely connect with his wide receivers, you can't you can't lose to that team on paper. The Vikings should have won. But after seeing that performance by Kirk Cousins and Aaron Rodgers not even stressing about that game because the defense did all the hard work, that's a concern. Because now 
everyone going into the postseason, especially if you're the Giants who have Thibodeau and they have some decent pass rushers or whoever they're going to have to go up against, it's going to be concerning. And I say that the, the Giants, just in case they end up dropping the three, I don't know if they will or not, but it's, a, I mean, it's towards the end. And now, you know, depending on who they're going to get, if they do stay second, they're going to get the last one, which is either going to be the Packers, the Seahawks, or the Lions. And if they have to meet the Packers again, they maybe they could probably beat them because I believe they beat them in the beginning of the season in Minnesota. But don't hold your breath on it, just don't. So especially if Kirk Cousins is going to play like that. Alrighty, so moving on to the last topic for today, my picks for the season finale of the NFL. The NFL's coming. The regular season is coming to an end this upcoming weekend, and a lot of games that might decide teams fate and who's going to the playoffs so to start off the chiefs and the raiders i'm gonna give it to the chiefs i don't think they're gonna play patrick mahomes but depending on what happens with the bills in the cincinnati game that's gonna determine everything because they need to stay ahead of cincinnati so i think they may they may try to at least win that game to stay ahead so i'll give it to the chiefs the ravens and the Bengals. Uh, I'm gonna go with the I'm gonna go with the Bengals just because I think that they're still gonna probably win that game. The Ravens aren't really the best right now. They did lock in a spot for the playoffs in the wild card, so they're not worried about it either. But I'll give it to the Bengals. The Titans and the Jags. This is one of the games that's gonna decide who's going to the playoffs. Give me the Jacksonville Jaguars. I will take the Jacksonville Jaguars because they are playing great. Trevor Lawrence is having a great season. Uh, Etienne is having a, a great season of his own too. And I think the Titans just have way too much issues going on right now with Ryan Tannehill not playing, Malik Willis not being good. They're rolling. They're hoping that Dobbs is going to play. Now, I think it's going to be a close game, though, because Derrick Henry is going to play, I believe, in that game. Um, as far as I know right now, they rested him uh, this past week to get him ready for the Jacksonville game. So it might be close, but I think the Jaguars are going to pull it away at the end. Next up, the Browns and the Steelers. Give me the Steelers on this one. I think coming off that big win uh, this past Sunday night is going to give them the edge that they need against the Browns. The Browns aren't really playing for anything right now. I believe the Steelers are in or they're trying to get in. It's one of the two, but I know the Browns are out, so they're just trying to stat pat for Deshaun Watson, seeing what they got with him. And, you know, going to have to see what goes on in the draft, but I got the Steelers in that one. The Vikings and the Bears. I'm going to give it to the Vikings because they're going to try to have a redemption game, especially if they want to stay ahead of the 49ers in the playoff race and keep that number two spot to play either Detroit or Seattle or the Packers. We'll have to see, but I'm going to give it to the Vikings. I think the Bears are kind of just at that point where, well, we'll see what happens because they're out of the playoffs as well. But give me the Vikings on that one. Next up, the Patriots and the Bills. I'm going to give it to... Hmm. That's kind of a tough one because I'm pretty sure they're gonna rent, they're gonna rest Josh Allen, but I also feel like they won't because they need to win the, the number one seed, especially with like I said what happens with their game with Cincinnati if it ever gets rescheduled or not. Uh, I'm gonna take the Bills. I think the Bills just have way too much weapons and um, that I've I've haunt, I've hopped on their offensive coordinator Matt Patricia for way too long. Um, I'm gonna give it to the Bills. I think I think that Josh if Josh Allen plays they're they're gonna win hands down. The Jets and the Dolphins, that's going to be a tough one because they both did have big losses. The Jet, Mike, Mike White didn't play good, and obviously without Tua Tungo-Vailoa, and we're not sure what, what's going on with his condition. I'm going to give it to the Dolphins, though. I think that's a safe bet. They're trying to make it to the playoffs right now, so I'll take the Dolphins in that one. Next up, the Saints and the, the, Saints and the Panthers. They're both teams not playing. They're not really playing for anything right now. They're, all, they're both eliminated from playoff contention. 
But give me the Panthers. I think they're going to try to continue this this run that they have going on. So give me the Panthers. Sam Darnold's trying to prove that he should get a contract. DJ Moore had a great game against the Buccaneers. So they're starting to have a good connection. So give me the Panthers on that one. Next up, the Buccaneers and the Falcons. I think they're going to rest Brady because they're already in the playoffs. They already solidified their four-seed spot. So they're not going anywhere. This game's kind of a whatever. So give me the Falcons just because they're going to bench probably bench Brady and all those starters. The Texans and the Colts, the battle of the bad teams. Yes, the battle of who is going to be the worst. Well, obviously it's going to be the Texans because they are not winning a lot of games. But I'm not sure who they're going to go with the quarterback in the Colts because Nick Foles got hurt. They only have a Sam Ellinger. I doubt they're going to go back to Matt Ryan. So I'm going to go with the Texans. I think the Texans are going to pull it off the win. They have a they have a decent defense. They're able to you know force a lot of teams to have a hard time. So give me the Texans on that game. Next up, the Cowboys and the Commanders. This is going to decide what, you know, aside of the Eagles and the Giants game, this game will also decide if the Cowboys are going to stay in their spot or if they have a possibility to move up. And they're going to be playing against the Commanders. Give me the Dallas Cowboys on this one. They have a lot to lose right now. This game will determine if they're going to have a first-round buy and home field advantage throughout the playoffs or if they're going to have to go to Tom Brady and Tampa Bay. So give me the Cowboys. They do have a lot to lose. Hopefully Dak Prescott can lower the interceptions against this team and get a little more confidence going into playoffs. Next up, the Cardinals and the 49ers. Give me the 49ers just because the Cardinals are not good this year. Um, I believe they had to go with another quarterback because Trace McSorley was not the answer. So they're going to have to go with somebody else. They're down to their four-string quarterback. And who knows what's, what's going to happen with them this season and with Cliff Kingsbury. But give me the 49ers. are going to continue this streak. And they're trying to catch the Minnesota Vikings to try to get the, the two seed. So give me the 49ers on that one. The Rams and the Seahawks. The Seahawks need to win on that one. But you guys know my love for Baker Mayfield. I'm going to go with Baker Mayfield just because I think he will ruin it for the Seattle Seahawks. They had a good game against the Jets. But other than that, they were struggling uh, for the past couple of weeks. Uh, passing, you know, before the, the New York Jets came into town. So give me the Rams on that one. Next up, the game that's going to decide it all. Who is getting the number one spot? The Giants and the Eagles. This is going to be interesting because now the Eagles are thinking we need Jalen Hurts. This is going to be the game Jalen Hurts is going to come in and save the day. It has not been reported yet if he's going to play or not. The Giants already have their spot in the playoffs. They have a solidified number six spot. So... Unless they really feel uh, very, very courteous and want to give the Dallas Cowboys the number one spot, I don't think so. I think the Eagles are probably going to win this game just because if Jalen Hurts comes back, they're not, they're probably not going to take a risk with Saquon or anything like that. So give me the Philadelphia Eagles. They're probably going to win their division uh, in the AFC East, and they're probably going to get the first seed. So give me the Eagles on that one. The Chargers and the Broncos. The Chargers are probably going to bench um, Justin Herbert. I believe because I believe they have a spot in the playoffs, so they don't probably don't have to worry. But the Broncos aren't playing well this season, anyways. They did have a good game against the Chiefs. I believe they almost won the game, but turnovers killed them. But that's been the theme this week, and is turn turnovers killing uh, teams' his chances to win. Give me the Chargers still. I think the Chargers are gonna either bench Justin Herbert, or they're gonna give him reps. But give me the Chargers on that one, just because the Broncos have not looked good all year. Next up, Sunday Night Football. This is going to decide who's in and who's out. The Lions and the Packers. That's going to be a great game. I believe it got fluctuated to be Sunday Night Football because of high uh, stakes, how high the stakes are for this game. So, 
Jared Goff or the Pack. I'm gonna have to go with Aaron Rodgers just because you know he could you know he pulled you know he pulled one out when the season looked down and the Packers were not gonna do well and he might face retirement. He came back, he was able to, you know, kind of get things moving in Green Bay. And with Detroit, either they're deep it's it's one or the other. The defenses can make stops or they can't. And it's real it's really confusing as the season goes on. And the running games are not very consistent. Either Jamal Williams has a good game or Swift or neither of them. And Jared Goff have to, has to kind of carry it. So, actually, you know what? No, I'm going to change it. I'm going to stick with the Detroit Lions. You know what? Why not have a little faith in Dan Campbell and the Lions? Let's see who wins that yeah, one. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. So, last up, the national championship. TCU versus the Georgia Bulldogs as my last game pick. It's going to be close. It will be close. It, it's going to be very, very close. After seeing how vulnerable the Georgia Bulldogs really are, and if TCU can get up to a hard start, they can win the game, and if their defense can come up. But I'm going to have to go with the favorite here. I think Georgia is barely going to win it at the end. I don't think they're going to have a dominant game like they've been having all season, especially seeing what Ohio State can do. And I'm very excited what TCU can do against this team. But I'm going to have to go with Georgia. I think they're going to pull it out somehow or another botched kick. Who knows what's going to happen with that. But give me Georgia to possibly be your next, your two-time back-to-back national champion winners. But alrighty, everyone, that's going to wrap up episode five of the CAV Sports Podcast. This episode will be on the YouTube channel at CAV Sports Podcast. So if you guys want to check it out or watch any other previous episodes, make sure to go to that YouTube channel and also to follow all my socials at CAV Sports, and then I believe Instagram is CAV Sports Podcast. But thank you guys so much for watching and have a great day.